Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation, Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast about Deep Space Nine by two guys who are, as ever, just a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Ours is a podcast grounded in rules, <laughs> Ben. Yeah. The show is nothing if it does not strictly prescribe to those rules. And uh, the name of the game today is Quark's Bar. Because uh, at the end of the last episode we recorded, Ben rolled the die that sent us to the Quark's Bar Square, which yeah. means we will be enjoying alcoholic beverages as we record today's episode. I, like, people thought that we were going to be drinking every three episodes when we rolled this game out. That does not prove to be true. I, I bet there are some people that are disappointed about that. I'm not one of them. <laughs> Our wives certainly are not among those people. It can't be overstated just what a terrible look it is for uh, for a hardworking wife to come home from a shift and find a shit-housed podcaster <laughs> at home waiting for them. Yeah, that has a real chilling effect on feelings <laughs> of affection. God, you know, that could be the name of our show, Ben. I mean, <laughs> Greatest Generation, great name. Chilling effect, though, really says it. Pretty on the nose. What are you drinking, man? I'm drinking this Bozal Tobaish Mezcal. Uh, Tobaish, I think, is a species of agave. So uh, this is a, a, a mezcal made entirely of that species. Sometimes you find an espadine. That's, I think, the most common. Sometimes yeah. they're a blend of different mezcals. This one's a Tobaish. Uh, how about you? What are you on there, buddy? Um, as promised, I broke out my bottle of uh, Casamigos, which uh, I did a little research, and you were right, Ben. Uh, George Clooney was bought out of the Casamigos company for uh, a hefty sum, and so uh, his attachment to this mezcal seems to be in signature only. Uh, his signature is on the bottle. This is an Espadine mezcal, and uh, it is one of my new favorites. It is reviewed very poorly online among mezcal circles for reasons I don't agree with, but uh, but like so many other things, spirit-related, uh, it's a personal taste thing, and this really works for me. The idea that drinkability would be a knock against it is really uh, calling into question the reliability of the review website that you found there, buddy. Drinkability is like... Uh, it's like the high school thing of you want to be drinking a glass of shitty scotch, warm. <laughs> and that's how you prove that you're an adult. But uh, I think drinkability is a crucial element in the enjoyment of a mezcal or anything else. I so, like a funky thing from time to time. I like to uh, I like to push the boundaries, but... A funky pachuga, yeah. perhaps? But um, it's a big tent. Let's fucking enjoy lots of different kinds of things. I'm not one of those people that, like, picks a beer and that's the only beer they drink for the rest of their life, you know? Yeah, I think we're in agreement there. In this day and age, grab what you enjoy and uh, enjoy it while you can. Yeah. What do we got here? It's season 2, episode 21. The Makewees. Makewees? Part 2. Do you realize how incredible this is? Ow! 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 
No, of course you don't. We begin with a nice last time on Deep Space Nine. Bit of business here. Yeah, and Riker tells Mr. Worf to fire. We fade up on the same action that we uh, that we crashed out on last time. I gotta tell you, this very first pre-credit sequence scene was deeply disappointing to me. <laughs> Everyone's holding each other up at phaser point. Kira and Bashir throw their phasers to the ground. And for some reason, Cal and Ben Sisko take a walk on their own. And they don't go anywhere, Ben. They just walk in a circle in the Ace Garden Center. I looked up who who directed the episode, and it's Corey Allen. He's the guy who directed the premiere episode of TNG, and he is a, he's a lifer. He's directed... So many episodes of Star Trek. Encounter at Farpoint, one of the worst episodes of TNG? How could such a director direct a bad scene? He's a legacy director that I wanted to root for, but there's a lot, even editing-wise, that doesn't hang together in this sequence. There's a lot of intercutting from similar composition to composition. Yeah, some some jumpy cuts. And they go for some flashy camera moves. Like, yeah. you know, lots of like crane shots with lots of foliage in the foreground. and There's a moment where Cal like definitely holds a branch out of the camera lens to allow <laughs> him to deliver some more exposition before cutting to a different angle. You know, when you direct a couple of actors having a conversation, what you want are the the movements they make around the set to be motivated, you know? Like, right. Ev- like all of the staging should advance the story or you know raise the emotional stakes the this walk seems aimless and that is not what these characters are they're not aimless at all like they are working at cross purposes but they are super motivated dudes and the idea that they're just kind of like wandering around together doesn't make any fucking sense the instinct to pair them off and separate them i think is good like, you want them to have their alone time where they can really get into the the business at hand without having to mince words because of other people around. Like, that yeah. part of it I get. Right. And, and if, the, that was the, if that was so important, I would have rather had, for some reason, Ben Sisko beam down alone or Ben Sisko and Cal to meet each other at a, at a second location yeah, for some kind of summit. Site. Yeah. There was, yeah, there was something about, like, I, I understand that they're forced into this, but uh, kind of a rocky start in my mind for how this episode begins. Yeah. I like how all the Maquis dress Bajoran. Like, their costuming is definitely Bajoran-influenced, I think. Yeah. You know, like, they don't wear the kind of clothes that federations that are, you know, non-Starfleets but live well within the Federation live. Yeah. They, they, they wear, like, you know pizza oven guy clothes the sweater vest is literally good for nothing there is really a unified theory of non-starfleet clothing yeah i mean like this scene is about cal hudson rejecting his uniform like ben cisco is like picking it up off the forest floor and trying to get him to put it back on well it's been feeling a little tight lately and uh he's like no i dress bajoran now at the conclusion of cal's walk of cisco around the uh home and garden center they return to one (laughs) at which point uh the maquis phaser down cisco kira and bashir yeah that shit is rugged 
I kind of wish that that had been the cut in between the two episodes. Yeah, I agree. Because then you would come back and not know, like, oh, fuck, did, like, three main cast characters just get murked? Like, are they fucking dead now? And much like the space between Ducat and Cisco snagging that runabout and taking off for parts unknown, we cut back to, after the show open. To Deep Space Nine, after the away team's return from this planet. Yeah, like, presumably they just, like, woke up from stun, returned to their runabout, which the Mayquis left unmolested in orbit, and, like, went back to work. Yeah. It's it's so weird, because, like, it does show them, like, lying face down in the dirt with, like, mist rolling over them. Like, they look super dead. It is crazy to think a tv show had three main characters appear to be dead and did not attempt to extract any like dramatic uh stakes out of that (laughs) at all (laughs) or ever address it again like like cisco isn't even mad at cal about having shot him i think that's crucial and i think what happens when you depict people being shot by phasers in this way is you take the teeth out of any future incident involving our DS9 crew being shot with phasers. Yeah. I think uh, you want an element of danger there that they aren't bothered to depict. I could have really used some antipathy from Kira towards Cisco for having been gotten the drop on like this. Like Kira's feelings about the Maquis and about the Cardassians are punctuated by some scenes that she has with Cisco, but are for the most part absent. And this is a moment where I'd really like to know what she's thinking because they beam down to this planet. These guys get the jump on them and they have to slink back to deep space nine, having been defeated by them. Yeah. Oh, like, this is your college buddy. And he shot me. Thanks. Ben. Yeah. <laughs> I would really have loved it. If Kira tore into Cisco in his office, like, asking him what the fuck just happened and why she had to be shot over it. Right. It seems like something she would do and also something that would actually influence Cisco to reassess his thinking on this matter, you know? Because that is a strength that his character has. We don't get that scene. Instead, we get them just kind of getting back to the station and Cisco heading up to his office where... None other than Admiral Necheyev is waiting for him. The tight bun herself. (laughs) On the scene, really great to see her, Ben. I don't know how you felt when you saw her on Deep Space Nine, but like, I enjoy any connective tissue between TNG and Deep Space Nine, and so she was a welcome sight for me. Yeah, I I wished that um, some Valerian canapé had been prepared in honor of her arrival. I thought that was a little... Weird that it wasn't. They're extremely fattening. Some canopy that could then be just scraped into the garbage <laughs> after the meeting. Yeah. She she acknowledges that she appreciates it was prepared and then it is never addressed again. She, it seems like she's really out in the sticks to be adjudicating this matter. I think she represents an escalation to this conflict that makes her presence a big reason why this is such a serious matter. I think this is a show that has been sort of searching for what it can be about. And I think that this episode, like, like Necheyev leaves and, and Kira comes in and there's this great speech by Cisco about the, the fact that earth is paradise and that the like decision makers are kind of in this ivory tower where they don't understand the real problems. 
And to me, that kind of like, for the first time maybe in this series, plants a flag in the idea that Deep Space Nine is about living right on the edge of a perfect society, like right at the border, you know? Like the the post-scarcity thing gets up to Deep Space Nine and then like the colonies near the Cardassian border don't have it and are being kind of left in the lurch. And like Kira is fucking pissed about it because she's lived in she's lived on the other side of that line her entire life and still really feels for that cause. Makes sense to me. And I think Cisco is getting there, but he's he's lived in the warm embrace of a utopia his entire life. It made me think a lot about like what do you truly care about in a post scarcity society? And we get a couple of different examples of this. When when Cal talks about the humans living on the other side of the demilitarized zone, the main beefs are of the type of, this is where I've lived my whole life and I don't want to leave it. Right. Like, those are things that cannot be replicated elsewhere. Right. Those are, those are goods that you can't uh, manufacture. <laughs> yeah. And trade. Yeah, it feels like a way of depicting the Federation that, that never could have happened in early TNG or in the original series. Like this, this is a contravention of, of peak Roddenberry themes. Right. Like they don't want to be crushed under a Cardassian boot heel, but the, the people that they're asking to, to ensure that doesn't happen, they also don't trust with any decision. Right. So, <laughs> I mean, like, you have to indict the, the motivation of the Mayquise. Mayquise? In that way, because it's like, hey, like, you got to, like, that costs something, you know, that protection, that, like, stability that you want. And part of that cost might be allowing somebody else to have influence over, like, where you live or whatever. Why are there so many fucking farmers in Star Trek? <laughs> Like, the thing that I don't get is, like, I understand, you know, uh, Joe Sweater Vest has got a life on a planet in the DMZ, and the treaty has made it so that that planet is now in Cardassian airspace. Right. Like, and I understand that if you're a farmer, the implements with which you can use towards rebellion or uprising or terrorism are, are limited. Yeah. But where where are the people who are not farmers? Are you the farmer? Stop saying that, Whitnell. Of course he's a fucking farmer. I think that, like, we've seen kind of a couple of examples of this. Like, the guy that didn't want to leave his pizza oven. Like, that guy needed to be a farmer because he lived on a moon and didn't have a replicator. And uh, was a Bajoran. Like, he was, he, he was from the other side of the line. The example that TNG gives us of people that are like really exercised about this treaty are uh, like Native Americans who do not want to be a part of the Feder like Federation society at all, and they moved away. And then like political decisions happening way above their head caused their home to be part of a different government that they also don't want to be involved with, like. <laughs> Like they're they're separatists of of both things. This farmer thing, like I I agree, like kind of doesn't make a lot of sense in this context. These guys really love farming. Golden cotton, the cotton, golden cotton. So, 
our next scene in this episode is a scene that I've been waiting for for a while, which is uh, Odo has caught Quark doing dirt and has actually locked him up for it. Surely it's no crime keeping company with a beautiful female. He's been running guns. He's been supplying arms to terrorists. Um, <laughs> and, uh, which on, on Quark's rap sheet over the last couple of seasons is... Uh, it might be the worst thing that he's done, but it's at least a part of like six very bad things that he's done. Right. Yeah. I mean, we got a little laundry list from Kira recently of reasons she doesn't like him. Uh, yeah. Add this right to the top of the list, because I think she's probably like more on team Mayquees than on team Federation. Personally, right. but professionally, like, give me a fucking break. But this is a weird scene because, like, Cisco's called down there, and and Cisco has been, let's follow the rules, guy, the entire time. Yeah. And when they leave, he's like, leave him in jail forever. I don't feel like you can joke <laughs> with Odo. I don't get the sense that he has a sense of humor. Yeah, I I don't get the sense that Cisco is joking either. Hard to say. I Hard. guess it's his word of the highway. Yeah. They, they didn't. Uh, they didn't take Quirk's belt from him or anything. So, I guess. Uh, I guess they're not that concerned. <laughs> they don't think he's an autoerotic asphyxiation risk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What does he tie it around his ear? I don't think so. Quirk's got all that time alone. He's like, well, might as well jack it. I know I'm in this room with a transparent force field wall, but uh, nobody else in here. Do you think they can turn... Do you think there's a modesty setting for that force field? Mm. You hope there is, right? I don't know, because like in in uh, contemporary jails, you have to take a dump out in the open, right? Yeah, but you don't see a, uh, a brig toilet in there, and you don't see a drain in the floor. So what's happening? I don't know. Maybe they beam the turds right out of his lower lower intestine. <laughs> God, that must feel so satisfying. Could you imagine? Yeah, the 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 crabs. I would sign up for that tomorrow. The crabs just go from the pot to the tanks on the ship without any intermediary process. <laughs> uh, you you go to bed full and you wake up empty. Oh man, sounds nice. Would would enjoy. Drink all the coffee you want, Ben. Consequence free. Yeah. They like walk out of the security office and right, uh, they like bump right into uh, Leggett Parn, who is a, I guess Leggett is kind of like Admiral in Cardassian. Yeah, I had to look this up too. He has very shiny armor for a Cardassian, and I don't know that we've seen a Leggett before. Yeah, really a, a big upgrade. He kind of carries himself like uh, the John Goodman of Cardassians. This guy has, like, the most specific sci-fi credits of all time. He's really been around. He's in Undiscovered Country. That was not his name. He's in Voyage Home. There be whales here! He's in Voyager. Please state the nature of the medical emergency. He's in Star Trek Enterprise. He's in MacGyver. Just tell me what you want me to fuck! He's in Babylon 5. I I love that MacGyver qualified as science fiction in that list of credits. John Shuck. He's a a definite that guy, and he's a Star Trek that guy at that. Yeah, he really is. Leggett Parnes on the scene to confirm Cal's suspicions that uh, Cardassians have been smuggling weapons into the the DMC. 
It's interesting that we get two Admiralty level characters in this episode, but they don't ever interact directly. Like all of this goes through Cisco. God, I was just going to say that. Like, is uh, is Nechev still on the station? Yeah, where'd she go? <laughs> she's uh, she's having canapes in her room. Doesn't have time for this guy. Yeah, wouldn't it be more efficient if they were talking to each other? I think so. But Parn is, is specifically saying that Dukat is behind the whole thing. You have my word. This is kind of the Cardassian government like throwing one of their own under the bus to advance their political goals, right? Yeah, and this introduces a fun bit of business between Kira and Cisco because Kira's on team, well, if the Cardassian higher-ups want to let Dukat swing for this... Why don't we let Dukat get what's coming to him? And Cisco's like, uh, the enemy of our enemy is our friend, maybe. What if in in saving Dukat from the Central Command, uh, like that actually does us a favor? Like keeping him alive would be uh, would be good strategically for us. I have to say, I kind of feel Kira on this one. Yeah, I think so. Like I think that we've known enough about Dukat that. From a stability factor, he is n- not a great dude. What you want is a predictable adversary, and Ducat is so fucking unpredictable. Like, let's take him off the board, you know? Yeah, I get that angle, but it's interesting that this decision point happens at this part of the episode, because when Gold Ducat turns from heel to face... <laughs> Wait... Cisco's instinct. I don't know is, wrestling. I don't remember what those terms mean. <laughs> well, well, to be a heel means to be a bad guy, and to be a face means to be a good guy. To be a face is to be a good guy. Yeah. Why? <laughs> don't ask me why. It's just a thing. So I like this this tension between Kira and Cisco. Ultimately, they choose Cisco's path, which is the yeah. They choose the boss's path. That's what that's what you do. <laughs> You, when you're the boss, you get to uh, you get to follow your own instincts there. Yeah, you get to blaze your your trail. Speaking of Dukat, they cut to Dukat where he's being force melded by Sakona. Yeah, force melded in a way that is not quite as upsetting as the end of Star Trek VI, the Undiscovered yeah. Country, because uh, it don't it don't work. It would appear he has the ability to shield his thoughts. It's simply a matter of discipline. Is it she's like not as good of a Vulcan as Spock? Like is she's is she not as good at at Vulcan mind meld shit? Well, Ducat tells her to her face that uh Cardassians are are practiced in the art of of stoicism and not letting uh Vulcans who wish to meld with them into the mind door. I love Ducat here. I love a I love he, a confident prisoner. He like is him. big dogging his captors, man. <laughs> When he's got uh, shackles on him. He's great. Yeah. This is this is kind of a turning point for how we feel about Dukat. Up until now, chaos agent, sort of a son of a bitch. <laughs> but, but he holds up under torture in such a way that I think begins a transformation for him into a guy you can, like, guardedly root for, maybe. Yeah. Do you remember that time we took a lift ride with a guy that said that he used to work in Guantanamo Bay as a as a prisoner, like as like a prison guard? Boy, do I ever! <laughs> that was that was so fucking weird. The lesson, of course, is never ask a lift driver what they did before doing lift. 
Because boy, did this guy have a story. Yeah. Fresh out of the Navy, doing like 11 years, hated it. Yeah. Uh, but I guess the part that he hated wasn't working in Guantanamo. It was yeah, being yeah. on a ship. He, he hated that the most. He repeatedly told us that the reason he got out of the Navy was that he didn't want to stab somebody with a screwdriver and that he was going to if he stayed in the Navy. We've got a bunch of uh, neighbors in our audience That's true. Uh, who've, who've written in to say hi, tell us that they like the show. This is the first uh, Navy person uh, who has has shared those kind of feelings about being in the service. Really hostile. Yeah. We got out of that uh we got out of that ride and we're like, "All right, buddy. <laughs> glad you're uh glad you're on a better path. <laughs> we're going to go eat an obscene amount of Korean barbecue." <laughs> Which is what we are always doing when we get out of a lift together, right? Ben, I don't want to end the story there. I want to talk about having Korean barbecue. Uh, with our good, good friend, Ben Fritz. Oh, yeah, Ben Fritz, who got you into the uh, the premiere of Star Trek Discovery. Great writer for the Wall Street Journal. Uh, and a moment that was maybe the most scared I have ever been at a Korean <laughs> restaurant. It's the moment where we've got the menu open, and we're looking over what to get. And really, Ben, I think the choice at Korean barbecue is always big meat or two big meats. And uh, Ben Fritz... Came out right away and said, I don't eat beef. Right. I thought this was a bit. Yeah, we, we both were like getting ready to yes and the I don't eat yeah. beef. And he was like, no, seriously, I don't. But order whatever you want. Like, I'll I'll pick around it. And we're like, like K-pop <laughs> like skips off of the record player. <laughs> yeah. Everybody in the restaurant turns, including the super drunk 18 person birthday table <laughs> that was uh, two sections away from us. I was legit scared at this point because I've never gone all pork at Korean barbecue. I've always had big beef and then maybe dessert pork. I used to be like Ben Fritz where I was, I, I would eat swine, but I would not eat beef. And I've loosened the rules up, but it's kind of a rare dietary choice, right? Like the no beef, but yes, swine guy. I mean, he was looking at your wife when he said this, so I thought it was sort of a power move there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my wife who uh, who is Jewish and has lots of misgivings about how much I enjoy a nice pork chop from time to time. We put together an ordering system, Ben, that we've never done before at Korean Barbecue, but which I will say worked out great. The answer was little beef, little pork. Yeah, so there was something for wifey, there was something for Ben Fritz, and Ben and Adam ate all of most of it. The server tried to discourage us from going this path. She's like, no, that's too much food. And in in my own way, I made her understand that that uh, she was wrong about that. In an Asian cuisine context, uh, there is often a thing where you try and order something and the server will attempt to dissuade you from it, most often because it's too spicy, but also sometimes because you don't understand the portion size. Right. And we stared that server down and said, no, we are doing this. Give me a keg of beer. You don't understand. We're here to destroy ourselves and Ben's wife and our friend Ben Fritz. I mean, to her credit, we did not put our Korean barbecue punch cards on the table, thus demonstrating uh, 
our yeah, veteran Korean barbecue status. The uh, the uh, the flight log book that we both keep <laughs> to show how many air miles that we've accumu- accumulated. The log book that the previous servers must sign off on <laughs> so that we can get our license to eat Korean barbecue. <laughs> ben, I think she got the picture by the time our sixth rice wine showed up yeah. for our table of four. Yeah, I was ordering two more bottles at once at some point in that meal, and she laughed at me and was like, all right, all right. I think that's when she understood what what monsters we truly were. There's a secret level at Korean barbecue that you unlock. After the sixth bottle, the server drinks the seventh with you. We couldn't quite make it there with our four top, but yeah. it was a delightful amount of consumption uh, with that party especially and such great company too i love that guy ben fritz yeah ben fritz a plus my wife also yeah your wife also a plus a plus let's not forget about her one of the great ladies willing to eat beef and pork with the gang yeah yeah usually usually her rule is she'll eat a pork thing if pork isn't one of the words in the name (laughs) like Pork chop, no. Chorizo, yes. <laughs> but this time, she uh, she suspended the rules. Kang Ho Dong is Switzerland for her. Sure is. So this uh, prisoner torture situation is interrupted by uh, a very rude Ben Sisko and uh, and gang just showing up and uh, and uh, inviting themselves in, asking everybody to stand, stand down very politely. But uh, Golducott does not want a peaceful withdrawal in this situation. Yeah, he's goading both parties into a firefight. Will you stop talking and shoot them? Like, this dude is in the middle of the battlefield that he is setting up. And he is is fucking threatening everybody. And I uh, love this about him. And it's also like eight or ten Maquis. Maquis? Right? And then it's just Cisco, Dr. Bashir, and Odo, who is known not to carry a weapon. So it's like... Odo, who should have been on the first away team mission. He like, really should have. Odo, Mr. Fantastic's head sweater vest guy, Amaros, <laughs> like taking him off of a ladder he's trying to escape on. I, like, I've been wanting to see Odo do to, do this to somebody for two seasons. Yeah, I know. Great payoff. It, and like a really well done special effect, right? The like turning just a part of an actor into a, a CG effect, that's that's pretty challenging, right? Yeah, and it looks good. It looks great. So they 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 knock everybody out and they they leave sweater vest alive and Cisco says, "Hey, listen, Cal Hudson and I we're still buddies and I understand that like he's starting to come down on another side of this issue from where I'm at. But if you see him, you tell him the situation has gotten out of hand and maybe we've all done things that we regret. And so to protect his dignity, what I've done." is not tell Admiral Necheyev that he has flipped. I think this is fucked up. And this all goes back to the very first scene with Necheyev, right? Like, that she doesn't have all the information, W slash R slash T, Cal, 
Yeah. I think is a, is a it's a missed opportunity for a more interesting way to tell the story, but it's it sort of fucks with the logic of the show because I think this episode gets a lot more intense if Necheyev is like, "Hey, uh, your orders have changed. Your orders are now to apprehend Cal and bring him in dead or alive. Like he's a huge threat to the DMZ. He could cause a war right now. Like bring him in." Right. And because she's ignorant of Cal's true feelings, because Ben Cisco didn't tell her, but I wish that was where this episode jumped off from. Because Cisco talked to Necheyev right after waking up from being phasered on the planet. Why was that not in his report? Why is he still carrying water for Hudson? Yeah. And I think that's fucked up. It's it's that like personal loyalty ahead of loyalty to you know, king and country thing. But by not being specific, you don't allow Cisco's character to take one side or the other. It just goes unspoken. Can you imagine this ever happening in TNG? Right. Like anybody ever betraying anybody on that ship on a basis like this? I know. To have it go unmentioned, I think is a mistake. So they get Ducat back to the station and he basically turns it into an opportunity to pig out. These are character building scenes with Ducat, like like one after the other, where we're starting to uh, grow our esteem for him. Do you I think, think that's yamak sauce that he's putting on all his food? It's got to be. I think uh, I think it's great that he drinks it out of the cup. Yeah, he's hitting the cup. He's like drizzling it all over his vegetables, and uh, I I kind of think that all of this is is going according to plan for Ducat. Like he doesn't know that he's been thrown under the bus by the central command yet so yeah he has the appetite of a man who's not being hunted down yeah they, they talk a little bit about cardassian jurisprudence in this scene where like if there's a trial in cardassia everybody knows the the verdict before it starts right in a way that is it's not like it's a foregone conclusion but like it's the presumption of guilt yeah and it is a great scene because it it feels like Cisco has laid this like rhetorical trap for for Ducat when when he reveals the fact that the Central Command have betrayed him. They never bothered to tell me. And Ducat has been like sitting there gloating about how great the Cardassian justice system is. It it really like comes back and bites him in the ass, like within the scene, you know? Like there's a theatricality to Cardassians that has pervaded their entire relationship to star trek and this is like a quintessential version of that like the idea that cardassians love the spectacle yeah like whether or not the uh the outcome is predictable or not like in in the in the sense of criminal prosecution it is a predictable outcome people just love the show but yeah like when when he realizes that he's actually like got his pants down around his ankles and has the entire time this turns ducat into a very different asset for the story because he flips from chaotic bad to, like, chaotic good. If I help you stop the smuggling, will you help me stop the Maquis? Right. And he's suddenly, like, aligned with Cisco in a way that he, like, honestly wasn't before. God damn it, I just sprayed foam all over my computer. (laughs) That has never happened. You know how many beers we've had on this show? (laughs) So many beers. Oh, man. What a freak thing. I mean, we've got Colin Dinsmore already working on 
logging every single drunk Shimoda, there there's somebody out there that can go through and find out how many beers they've have been heard to be opened on this show. God, that is, that has got to be like a one in a hundred thing that just happened. <laughs> you gotta you gotta point the beer away from the computer when you open it up, Adam. <laughs> like I should I should spin my chair around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, put yourself in the line of fire. God, that sucks. <laughs> Is it okay? Is everything okay? No, it's fine. It's fine. It's just like, you know how like when someone touches your monitor, it is just like deeply irritating. I'm watching the beer foam dry and like knowing I'm going to have to do a nice monitor cleaning later. Do you know any monitor touchers in your life? I have a close friend who's a monitor toucher and I can't believe I'm still friends with him. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to be friends with that kind of person. You don't recline your seat. You don't touch the monitor. I feel like there are now there are rules of greatest gen, Ben, and I think we're writing them as we do the show. Yeah. Rule that, number one of greatest gen. Do not recline your seat. No. Rule number two of greatest gen. Don't touch the monitor. Do not touch the monitor. My monitor came with a sticker on it, like on yeah. the screen, <laughs> and uh, and it was like a it was a very high stress situation for me to take the sticker off like it wasn't it, it, it was not a it was like a post- it wasn't like one of those static cling stickers it was a sticker sticker it was like post-it level sticker where it was like yeah. easy to take off but it was adhesive but the fact that it was a sticker like really stressed me out that's so weird i would have expected like that clear plastic cling that you get on tvs and monitors that 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 would be the thing yeah why are they sticking stickers on there they shouldn't be doing that that's that's the that's the long and the short of it, Adam, is that it shouldn't be done in the first place. Benjamin R. Harrison writes on his Amazon item review, one star. <laughs> <laughs> they shouldn't be sticking stickers on these monitors. Yeah, that's uh, that's my personal feeling on the subject. So Ducat is exercised because he now realizes that he's kind of exposed in a way that he didn't realize. And so there's some previous aliens that have been running guns for the Cardassians, and I think we've... Uh, that's the Lesepians, is that right? Uh, there's the Lesepians, and then there's the Zeppelites, which yeah. are who they actually roll up on uh, in a in a runabout. The Zeppelites, of course, are an alien that's generally only available at an Italian street festival, but uh, <laughs> they're also in this episode. <laughs> You're so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I love the fucking audacity of this runabout rolling up to this freighter because the way they shoot it, this runabout looks like a tricycle rolling up on a semi truck. Like it does not look like they are a match. And nice neighbor Ben Cisco's like, um, hey guys, you mind uh, you mind just pulling over and maybe letting us board you or whatever? Yeah, and and uh, much shittier neighbor Ducat reports them to the city. Right. <laughs> Ducat's like, I'll fucking kill you. <laughs> yeah. It's a great good cop, bad cop moment here. Yeah. I like this alien too. I kind of wish he wasn't a one-off because it's like, it's kind of interesting loaf design. Like it makes him look very alien. He's he's totally got Mrs. Doubtfire loaf. He looks like he just <laughs> stuck his face into a cake uh, and then tilted up to camera and that's what he looks like. He looks like he's got frosting face. We do not agree on this, Ben. That's what I'm trying to say. Is the is the runabout like that much well better armed than the Zeppeli? Because because they like they say that the the Zeppelite ship is much faster than them, 
Yeah. But Gal Dukat threatens them on the basis of like, we are going to fucking shoot you out of the sky unless you heave to. And this dude is like, all right. If they're that much faster, I feel like it's it's a race between button pushes, right? Couldn't the Zeppelite freighter go to warp and put them out of weapons range immediately if they hit the button first? I kind of think so. I kind of wonder if it's like a submarine thing where like the torpedoes are vastly faster than the ships. Oh, yeah. I don't know. It's Ducat's force of personality that authority shames him into surrendering, though, and it's great. It's such a great scene. Yeah. There's some background acting that uh, Nana Visitor does during this that she's like, I fucking hate that guy, but God damn it. Like, that was really impressive. Like, she says all of that with her face. <laughs> yeah. Game recognized game in the in the Bay Main. And yeah. It's so awesome. She is a fucking master thespian. Like, yeah. <laughs> Like, there's a fucking novel on her face when she looks at Ducat at the end of that scene. It is so impressive. She is impressive every episode. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, the Zeppelites are, in fact, delivering weapons to the Cardassians. And, like, the, the deal between Ducat and Cisco is, like, you help me stop the, the arms running, I'll help you stop the Maquis. Maquis? And so that is, like, the first step of that agreement being... Uh, adhered to. We cut back to the station and Quark is in prison with his girlfriend. You know, it begins with a little bit of a creepy vibe, like, oh, geez, like close quarters <laughs> between them. That's not going to be good. Yeah, not, but it's... not standard practice to have co-educational prison cells also. <laughs> but it very quickly pivots into Quark making a business case for peace. Yeah, like the rare case because... Like, he also stands to gain a, a great deal of money from the the conflict, like, one way or, or or another. But he sweats this this Vulcan girl and also wants to find stability. By making the case for peace, you could argue that it is a case that makes her safe. That could be an aspect of it. Yeah, I wish I had any faith that her character was ever going to come back. She didn't. More and more and more. more. We cut right to a uh, a meeting of the sweater vest chamber of commerce that Amaros is running <laughs> along with low rent Gina Davis, I guess. And they're talking over the particulars of what to do in the aftermath of, of Ducat's escape. They're talking over like, yeah, like how how you defend the colonies and and like whether to put it in a curfew and like posting guards at the at the replicators and stuff. It's sort of the city council meeting of a city that has been cut off where yeah. like they don't have anybody to protect normal states of affairs anymore. And Ben Sisko like barges in like phaser in belt and uh, they're like, oh, sir, if you could just wait outside, like we have some stuff to continue uh, finalizing and then we'll we'll be happy to take questions from the citizenry. And he's like. Nah, dog, I have some shit to get off my chest. And one of the things that I would like to get off my chest is that the treaty is final. The war was bloody and shitty, and it's over now. And you've been given a lot of options. And uh, what you're doing is, like, openly antagonistic to peace. And so we're not going to keep, like, defending you and backing you up. If you're an enemy of the Cardassians, you're an enemy of the Federation. 
it's interesting that it's come to this, right? Because yeah. they've been operating in anonymity, in quasi-anonymity, I should say, for a while. It feels like this message could have been delivered at any point, but they finally reached a tipping point where, delivered directly, they are cautioned against further terrorist activities. Gauntlet down. Yeah. Yeah, and Cal, like, walks in, like, the like, they have that thing where like 25 armed people come through the doors and like 25 armed people from every alien race in Star Trek, like Bolians and Klingons and, and everything come through the door. And Cal is, has apparently heard everything Ben Sisko has said in this room. And, uh, Ben Sisko is prepared for this. He, uh, he's like, Hey, this messenger bag I have, it actually has, your uniform in it. I picked it up off the forest floor before I left the Ace Garden Center, and I brought it back to you, dude. And I want you to know, like, Necheyev does not know who you've been riding for. Like, as far as Starfleet knows, you've been you've been uh, in your office this entire time doing your work. So you have an opportunity right now to rebuke the path that these people are on and get back on the right side of history and cal hudson sets his phaser to gore and kills his uniform how do you gore a uniform yeah why is there so much so much gore in there (laughs) why were there why were there bones in that uniform pretty gross one of the tactical points of interest right now is a is a going concern at the weapons depot on the Brema colony bin. Yeah, and uh, Cisco has declared that this this weapons depot is under his personal protection. Because I'll be waiting there and I will stop you. And so, like, we get, like, a little strategy meeting on the station you know, talking about, like, odds are in our favor like, numerically, but these are they're used to asymmetric warfare. Like, this is what they've been doing. What do you make of these little flies that they fly around? <laughs> I don't know. I think that they're the same ones that we saw in TNG episodes about the Mayquis, right? I wish this was an opportunity to bring back older class starships. Like That would I want, be fun. Yeah. I want to be in a Star Trek world where the Mayquis raid the depot. In like a Reliant class starship? And they unscrap yard, like they unmothball some ships, yeah. and they take they take an old Del Sol and an old Constitution out, and they and they go kick some ass with those old birds. That'd be a lot of fun. Instead, uh, the interiors seem like they're they're very small. It seems like uh, bunk bed shuttle type accommodations on the inside, right? For these Mayquis raiders, they're the bunk beds to the king size beds of the of the runabouts but but the runabouts are you know sort of evenly matched like it's it's a fairly fun dogfight where you know they're trying to lock tractor beams and and uh and settle it peacefully but the makewees are like shooting the backpacks off of the runabouts and like <laughs> and like you know they're they're much more maneuverable so yeah the asymmetricality here is really fun but the friendship is over, and uh, like, <laughs> like Cal and Cisco FaceTime with each other. Like, you've been a good friend, and it's been nice knowing you. Basically, the, the other two runabouts get disabled, and the other Mayquis ship gets disabled. Ducat is like 
Cisco, you got to fucking blow this guy out of the sky right now. Like, this is your opportunity to settle this once and for all. And Cisco is not in a killing, you know, frame of mind. He lets he lets Cal Hudson get away. You're a fool. A sentimental fool. And he regrets it not long after. You see, he, he thinks that he's just delaying the inevitable of of what's going to be visited upon them and those involved with this treaty. This might be the last episode of Deep Phase Nine that I remember very vividly watching when I was a kid. Yeah. And I remember this scene where Kira tells him he stopped a war and he asks whether he stopped a war or just delayed the inevitable. And I remember going and like pulling the dictionary off of the bookshelf and looking up the word inevitable. As soon as the question is asked, the answer is given because you hear the single brass instrument of delaying the inevitable (laughs) play us out into the end of the episode. So they don't give us long to consider what may be happening here. Ben, I really wish that in that last moment between Ben and Cal that I wish he had been ordered to kill Cal and that that was what that was the tension that was the the force that he was fighting against but right. because this moment is totally self-motivated entirely i think it deadens the feeling here in a way that i wish hadn't happened right like you've got natalia nogolich on your call sheet like get her on a second facetime screen saying i am ordering you to fire Maybe that's hack, though. Like, maybe that's just a thing in me that's like, this feels like the format of friend up against friend in a conflict like this. You always have to bring the matter to a head through an outside force. I don't... Is is that where I'm coming from? And, and is that a wrong way to think of it? I don't know. I mean, I... I think that the odds of Cal Hudson coming back ever again are pretty low. He didn't. And he's a fucking great character, so you either let him go out with a bang or have him as a recurring character. This middle thing of we never hear from him again feels like dramatically not a great way to handle a character this juicy. Yeah, we talk about missed opportunities all the time, and I think that's a big one on this show. Yeah. Did you like the episode, though, Ben? I think that the second episode is uncharacteristically weaker than the first right in this arc but i think on balance i liked it there there's a lot on the board now you know there's a lot of players in the game now and i think that the star trek thing of a show taking a couple seasons to figure itself out is on full display in deep space nine and i think this is where they start to work out like what they can and can't do and what and what the show is about and i uh i like to see that happen that's such a great take because i feel like this two-parter has such confidence like it proceeds from a very confident perspective but it doesn't have so much confidence as to know they need to keep cal around or know that they need to force cisco into a decision later instead of having him be self-motivated This is so close to being a great two-parter and not just a good one. I also like the episode, but I I like it for the same reason that you did. And I I don't love it for those reasons as well. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like we're really 
we're really on to something here, and it really demonstrates a potential of the series at this early moment in time. True that. Uh, do you want to see if there are priority one messages for us or somebody else in our we, queue? We better before we're too drunk to read them. <laughs> priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first Priority One message is from Richard Valet and Herbert Spicy. <laughs> those don't sound like real names. Oh, no. Ben. The message is for those of the warm honeyed bosom that didn't appreciate the Nemesis meme. <laughs> the message goes like this Grackman is like Batman, but Garrick with a Batman mask on. <laughs> I responded with a meme of my own, but used a Batman villain. I chose Bane, because he's played by Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy was also a nemesis, so I made a meme using an image of Tom Hardy from Nemesis, but saying a line by Bane. I thought it was funny, but it went unappreciated, like Boromir. Binturong! I did not think that I was going to be able to get through that. I'm pallet shot right now, Ben. I, I am I am shithouse drunk at this point, Adam. I am beyond impressed that you did that in one take. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm a I'm a professional voice actor. Yeah. So so Richard Valet and Herbert Spicy attempted something that the warm honeyed bosom ignored. Is that what we're understanding here? I don't believe it was appreciated. I mean, whether or not ignoring it constitutes disappreciation. And is the, the warm honey Buddhism is a chat room? I thought up until recently that I was aware of all the different chat rooms. Isn't it like a Facebook? Is it a Facebook thing? I'm, I'm through joining groups, I think, Ben. Yeah. I don't want to join anything else. I think that one thing that has 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 really revealed itself to us is that we cannot be entirely a part of every group. <laughs> you know? Like we have to be our own our own thing. And that's okay. I am very satisfied with the idea of of inspiring people to form the groups that they want to form. I want the I want the groups to be safe, fun, cool places that don't have an expectation that we can participate at a 100% level. I don't think anyone has that expectation and I think that's good. Yeah. Our second priority one message, Adam, is from Steve and it's to John. As a thanks for introducing me to this pod, and in celebration of the near or imminent birth of your first child, I thought I'd try to get you some fatherhood advice from Adam and Ben. I look forward to showing Roz your favorite Trek, the first two seasons of Battlestar Galactica, maybe even the greatest Galactica when she's old enough. P.S. BT says hi. Okay, so I think we're being asked to uh, to dispense some advice, some fatherhood advice. Any ideas, Dad? <laughs> Don't try to be a great man. Just be a man. Who said that? <laughs> yeah, it's two fatherless men, I think. Uh, it's two childless men. I think that uh, that's 
a lot to ask of us, TBH. Yeah. Yeah, I uh that feels like talking out of school. Really. Yeah. I couldn't possibly understand what that's like. I'm very excited for for your impending fatherhood. Yeah, John uh, John's going to be a dad. That's really great. Yeah. I guess my only advice is like, you know, make your child's life as awesome as you can. I think uh, I think one of the first things you should do is like make a mobile out of uh, testicular cancer <laughs> self-exam <laughs> iconography. Like I think you want to get on that early if you're gonna have a son. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, it sounds like Roz is the name of the of the child though, so probably not a son. Oh yeah. Roz is a great name. Roz is an awesome name. How early is too early to be watching Battlestar Galactica, I wonder? How early is too early to get a P1 message? There's, it's never too early. You go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. It's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message. It's a great way to promote the production of this program. Hey, Adam. What's up, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda. Calvin Hudson. <laughs> Calvin Hudson. It's all about Calvin Hudson for me, Ben. Mm-hmm. Calvin Hudson mostly because I cannot let on the long bar graph of greatest gen history, Calvin Hudson to only be given one Shimoda on that timeline. I wish him to have two. Mm. He's doing a lot of work here. He is as charismatic as ever. Yeah. What sucks is like they stick him in that shuttlecraft and they and they let him have like the big scene at the end. Yeah. Uh FaceTime to FaceTime. Why is he teamed up with sweater vest guy? I don't know. I would have wished for a denouement <laughs> that was more like Face to face, phaser to phaser. Like, it, it there's a version of that that we get here. It's ship to ship, but they both kind of limp away from each other in a way that feels uh, a little unsatisfying. Yeah. But man, Calvin Hudson, really like that guy's deal. Unfortunately, this is the last that we will see him. And uh, in in bidding him adieu, <laughs> I give him the second of two drunk Shimodas in a row. What about you, Ben? Calvin Hudson. Calvin Hudson. <laughs> Even Darwin got in on that one, Adam. Uh-huh. We know that we're not getting Bernie Casey back, and that fucking sucks. Like, this is a great character. This is a character that deserved more from this series, I think. And. I don't know how these decisions get made, right? Like the like you get the the fucking great actor and you write the great character and then the actor is like has misgivings about being on the dumb show or whatever, right. you know? I mean, it's not like Bernie Casey's better than this. He was an I'm going to get you sucker. Like <laughs> like he's made his choices. He's he's in but he's also in one of the greatest movies of all time, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Yeah. And he's great. Like he is such a good foil for for Ben Sisko in a way that like I think Ben Sisko often plays the foil to the other characters on the show and it's it's good to have Sisko in the driver's seat on an episode again. Yeah. 
and uh and cal hudson like like an iconic character like i think Brindy casey <laughs> made an iconic character out of out of cal hudson and i don't know if i it's feel in- like people are gonna find us disingenuous about our our interest in calvin hudson's popsicle here <laughs> but you're not wrong he's fucking great He's fucking he gets great. two chances to to crush it, and he crushes it. Yeah, he double crushes it, and you don't double crush it without getting a Shimoda nomination. And I don't want to, I don't want to fall under that two 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 Shimoda nomination threshold that Colin Dinsmore sets on the on the like season wrap up Shimoda standings. So for that reason, Cal Hudson. Is my drunk Shimoda. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time and... They send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code scarves to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! 
Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Ben, what do we have coming up on the next Calvin Hudson-less episode <laughs> of Deep Space Nine? Next episode is season two, episode 22, The Wire. Bashir fights to save his his Cardassian friend Garrick, who is slowly being killed by a brain implant to which he is addicted. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look up the Netflix, but... <laughs> you you have to vamp because I'm I'm a little drunk and I I it's, I don't know how long it's gonna take me, dude. I love you so much, man. You're the best. <laughs> the Netflix description is: While having his weekly lunch with Bashir, Garrick is suddenly overcome by extreme pain. Don't I know the feeling? <laughs> well, uh, we might as well see what we are overcome with in the next episode. Ben, by seeing if we're going to do the episode in any particular way. We are currently on square 68, and a Quark's bar is uh, one, two, three, four away. Fuck. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. So uh, if you would do the honors and roll the dice. I have to do the honors? I thought this was your episode. All right, fine. You fucking do do it, you jerk. I like... I like how everyone is soon going to know that I get nice when I'm drunk and you you turn mean. You turn I don't mean, turn ben. mean. How dare you? I'm playing a character. There it is. Uh, I've rolled a three. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Which is uh, three squares closer to, to a quark's bar, but does not get us out of danger. So uh, Bumps us up against it. Yeah, I feel like we're music. we're like try we're in line at this bar and there's a bouncer that's like you guys are not coming in. You've been overserved already. Well, that that is my experience at most uh <laughs> bars with velvet ropes, so <laughs> I think that's a familiar feeling. How mean will Ben get? Tune in next time to find out. I don't want you to spread this as a reputation because I I may I'm a very sweet drunk. You know that about me. Don't don't fucking put don't If put, you take the entirety of this episode out of evidence, then yeah, I'm inclined to agree. Face to face in person, very sweet trunk. That's Benjamin a, R. Harrison. Give me a break, man. Like don't put <laughs> dirt out about me out in the streets just because I'm a little bit inebriated. <laughs> I want people to know that I'm a nice guy and when I enjoy a little bit of party time i remain a nice guy sure i mean look we'll let the viewers decide for themselves uh the the reputation that is so unfair we all know that they like you more than they like me <laughs> that is also untrue hey things are gonna be all right as we roll into the next episode 
You know what? Uh, what I would like would be for the friends of DeSoto <laughs> who are on Team Harrison. Oh God! Take two Apple Podcasts. Leave a nice review, five stars. Tell them you like Ben more than you like Adam, because Adam is a little bit mean. He's he's, you know, he plays this role like he's a nice guy when he's drunk but really he's down low kind of mean <laughs> i don't want anybody to be deceived adam bit of a jerk i want to turn to camera right now which is my camera this is my camera <laughs> no, no, no i'm gonna no. i'm gonna address the it, viewer directly adam you idiot it's the one with the red light on top you know that it's the one over there I want to apologize for my co-host, Calvin Hudson-like turn. <laughs> I don't believe what he said is right at all. Uh, but look, it's up to you. You're I not would, Ben I, Cisco. I'm Ben Cisco. You're fucking Calvin Hudson. I would prefer if you left a five-star review for any reason. If it happens to dunk on me in the process, so be it. I would say... I will read every Dunk on Adam live review out loud on the show. And I will la 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 through every Dunk on Ben review live on the show. God damn it. Why can't we do anything fun on the show anymore? Yeah. You you don't know where you're at because you're drunk. And that's why you're being mean to me. You're a mean drunk, Adam. Admit it. One of the friendliest places on the internet is Facebook. <laughs> I would encourage you to join uh, either of any of the many greatest gen-related Facebook groups. Uh, there's also a, a there's Reddit Jim page. Shimoda, the Facebook group all about people that want to get fit. There's Testicular Shimoda, the uh, <laughs> the the group of greatest gen viewers that are interested in uh, in testicular self care. Yeah, you gotta roll the nacelle between your thumb and forefinger and check for uh, for masses. Uh, there's also our our spectacular other show, Ben. I'm talking about Friendly Fires, the show we do with John Roderick about war films. If you aren't hip to that yet. I don't even know what to say. That show is great. Yeah, that's a good show. And you don't have to watch the war films to enjoy it. That's one of the main things about the show, is we make sure that we catch you up on the movie before the episode even starts. Yeah. Yeah. Get with it. Hey, if, if you're going to be if you're gonna be the five-star review fairy, then why don't you sprinkle some of that dust over on Friendly Fire while you're at it? Yeah, that would be great. Um, and go to GreatestGenCon, K-H-A-N, Dot com and uh, find out when our tour is going to be coming to a town near you. We should thank Dark Materia for our theme music and Adam Ragusea for all of our other music. Got to thank our card daddy, Bill Tilly, for making great, great cards about every single one of our episodes. You can find that artwork on our Facebook page or on Twitter at Bill Tilly, 1973. And, uh, yeah, and sometimes there's even a hologram card. And, uh, you know, I mean, if there isn't one for Cal Hudson, I'm going to fucking jump off a bridge. Call in our shot. We need that hollow card for Calvin Hudson. <laughs> with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and another episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, which will probably be just as drunk as this one. Sorry. 
when Bashir fights to save his Cardassian friend Garrick, who is slowly being killed by brain implant to which he is addicted. Wait. What? <laughs> I misread that. I'm very drunk. <laughs> Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.